Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way. And that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Sinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. We have a very special guest with us today. Her book is published by Penguin Random House, and it's called Park Avenue Summer. In Park Avenue Summer, Mad Men meets the Devil Wears Prada as Renee Rosen draws readers into the glamorous New York City of 1965 and Cosmopolitan Magazine. There, a brazen new editor-in-chief, Helen Gurley Brown, shocks America and saves a dying publication by daring to talk to women about all things off-limits. New York City is filled with opportunities for single girls like Alice Weiss, who leaves her small Midwestern town to chase her big city dreams and unexpectedly lands the job of a lifetime working for the first female editor-in-chief of Cosmopolitan Magazine, none other than Helen Gurley Brown. Nothing could have prepared Alice for the world she enters as editors and writers resign on the spot, refusing to work for the woman who wrote the scandalous bestseller, Sex and the Single Girl. And confidential memos, article ideas, and cover designs keep finding their way into the wrong hands. When somebody tries to pull Alice into a scheme to sabotage her new boss, she is more determined than ever to help Helen succeed. While pressure mounts at the magazine, Alice struggles not to lose sight of her own dreams as she swept up into a glamorous world of five-star dinners, lavish parties, and men who are certainly no good. Because if Helen Gurley Brown has taught her anything, it's that a woman can demand to have it all. It is my great pleasure to welcome Renee Rosen, writer of Park Avenue Summer, published by Penguin Random House. We are so excited to have you. Oh, thanks for having me. So we know you have a very busy schedule today talking about your new book, so we're so happy you're here. Um, Why don't we get started by having you tell us all about you? All about me. Okay. Uh, Let's see. I started writing when I was a really young girl. Um, uh, you know, I think I wrote my first book, which was absolutely horrible when I was in high school and, um, and then just kept at it and went into advertising, but was always writing. I always had a book in the drawer. It was such a cliche and, um, would get up at four in the morning to write before I went into work. And then, uh, some 30 years later, finally caught a break and I've been writing historical fiction since, uh, 20, is it 2013? Can you tell us a little bit about how you got from working so hard and fitting this around your day job to finding an agent, finding a publisher, making this amazing career happen? Oh, it was a really long and bumpy road. I I think I queried about 300 agents before I got a nibble for my mm. my very first book and I it took me 17 years to get my first book written and to find a publisher and an agent and all. Um, and then um, my agent and I parted ways. My publisher didn't want my second book. Uh, my editor left the business. I was back to square one. So then I had about seven years of just complete drought and mm-hmm. I was writing books. I couldn't get an agent. I couldn't, I, it was like, I'd never published anything, uh, before. And, um, I finally, um, I found my agent. I was following various agents on Twitter 
And um, my agent said that she had just come from New York. She's on the West Coast. She had just come from New York. And a lot of editors were looking for World War I books at the time. Mm -hmm. And I had queried her and I'd queried her several times before and got very polite passes. And I said, you know, I understand you're looking for this time period. I have something in the roaring 20s. It's close, but not. And she said, well, send me a couple chapters. And that's sort of how that started. Um, But uh, it was a long road. And, uh, you know, and then I've been with her and I've been with, uh, with Berkeley, you know, Penguin Random House since then. I think our, our listeners are going to really enjoy, <laughs> not enjoy, but, but, but identify with that story. Um, uh, for so many of us, it is a long winding road. Yes. Um, so thank and, you for sharing that. Yeah. And all it takes is one person to say yes. And, you know, I was like a dog with a bone, though. I mean, I would get one rejection from an agent, and I'd send out five more queries. You know, oh, and every yeah. every once in a while, it would take it would just bring me down, and I, I would just you know the tears and what what am I doing with my life? And um, so I, I rolled the dice, but it's it's uh, so far it's working. I, I think it is. I think it is. <laughs> so tell us about your writing practice. It used to be way back in time you had put 4 a.m., but where are you at now? Do you write all day? Do you do writing sprints? Um, tell us about this, creating these wonderful books. Uh, well, you know, I mean, it depends where I'm at in the process, um, but I do write every day. Um, and, you know, when I'm drafting, when I'm just starting a book and I don't know where the story's going, those are really hard days. If I can get 400 words out, I consider that a victory because um, I don't know my characters yet. Even if it's a character based on a real person, um, I still don't know them yet in terms of how they fit into the story that I don't know <laughs> what it is that I'm telling yet. Um, and then once I get a draft, a beginning, middle, and end, that's when the real work for me begins. And I love editing and revising. And then I'll go at it for about a good six to eight hours a day. Um, I'm on deadline right now for my next book. So, you know, these are particularly long days where I might work for 10 hours at a stretch. You know, I take breaks, of course, but it's pretty it's pretty consistent. And I've learned to sort of block stuff out. So if I have to, I'll write in an airport. Um, I'll write in a doctor's office. I'll, you know, I'll write wherever I can grab that time. I'm, I'm a big I'm a big writer on napkins myself. Yeah. 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 It's a desperation. Um, I it's on my my cell phone, you know, if something strikes mm-hmm. me. I feel like we're always kind of writing in the back of our brain anyway, you know, even when we're not physically at at our laptops or or desk. So can you tell us a little bit about the process you use to create this time on the page? It's really impressive how you make it feel so you've got so many modern themes, but also you get the time period so accurately. Uh, how, did uh, you, <laughs> how did you um, go about that? Were you like, I'm going to be, you know, modern themes on the page, but also being in there? How did you think about it for yourself? You know, I, I don't think I, I thought of it in terms of modern themes and, and tying it to the past, but I did go back to New York. Now, I had lived in New York for about a year, but I really needed to put myself back there and see New York City through Allie's eyes, you know, the main character's eyes. And so I literally went back there. I found the apartment that she would have lived on in the Upper East Side. I found the apartment and I actually went, the apartment was for rent. So we actually went up and looked at the apartment, (laughs) Um, you know, and then I took her, her path into work. Like 
what and I knew the train lines had changed a little bit, but what what trains did she take? If she walked to Helen's apartment, how did she get from her place over to Park Avenue? Um, you know, so I did things like that. I put myself at Port Authority and went back to thinking how overwhelmed I had been by the city. You know, I mean, I grew up in a small town. I grew up in Akron, Ohio, so not that different from Youngstown. And, you know, you arrive in uh, in New York and, you know, whether it's, you know, 1980 something or 1965, I think that just culture shock would have to be the same. Um, you know, and not knowing how to hail a cab or, you know, getting so turned around and, and those victories of, oh, my God, I made it back to my, yes. my apartment, <laughs> you know. Um, so I, that helped. And then I also tried to see New York through Helen Gurley Brown's eyes. And where were her haunts? Where did she go? Um, you know, she took the bus to work every day. So I went to her apartment and went around the corner. Okay. This was a bus stop that she would have, you know, been waiting for her bus at. Um, so it was sort of just like trying to put myself back there. Um, you know, I tried to uh, tough research cause I had to eat and drink my way through Manhattan, <laughs> you know, to the Russian tea room and the Plaza and the St. Regis and, you know, going by the 21 club. And, you know, um, so, cause I wanted to, you know, give it, that sense of, you know, that madman feel, Mm -hmm. you know, where you get to kind of travel back in time and go to those places. Oh, that's amazing. I I love that as a research process. (laughs) It was fun. It was a fun trip. Me too. So our next portion, um, what I thought we do a lot with first pages here at the Manuscript Academy. And so um, can we just jump into some questions about your first Sure. Absolutely. So, I mean, this is a fabulous first page, by the oh, way. Thank I love you. it so much. It was so visceral, and I was right there with this character, and I was immediately, you know, on this journey. Like, where are we going? What's going to happen? And so I feel like you did that really effectively. What Can you tell us the, the decisions you made, um, chapter one, why you started here, and what you wanted to have on the page? Oh, wow. That is such a great question. Beginnings are really, really tricky for me um, because it sets the tone for the whole book. And I must have taken about seven or eight different stabs at this opening. Um, I couldn't find my jumping off point. Um, I had written about 100 pages of this book and trashed it um, and then started over again. And I finally realized that I wanted the reader to feel that chaos that Allie feels when she just, she's just getting, you know, just getting to know the city, those first few, I think she had been there like a week or so uh, when the book starts. And um, just that feeling of being in the Times Square uh, subway station, if anybody, you know, has been there. It's just, you know, there's ramps and, you know, people rushing this way and all the signage, you know, you can go to the Bronx, you can go downtown, you know, 8th Avenue, 40th Street, you don't know where to turn. So I wanted to try and capture that. And, you know, uh, just her just feeling so displaced and there's an excitement and an energy, but I wanted to put the reader right there with her on this journey as if they were just arriving in New York themselves. 
It's a distinct feeling. I remember the first few weeks that I was here, I felt very similar to this. I got very annoyed because things did not line up the way that I thought that they should. And I ended up in so many places I should not have. But um, I think there's a moment about three weeks into your time in New York when it all suddenly clicks into focus and it makes sense. Um, yeah, I was always like, if I could walk somewhere, I wanted to do that because I was so afraid of the subway system. Mm. I, I just thought it was like, I was just going to never, you know, <laughs> never surface again. <laughs> A lot of people have that feeling or they think there might be zombies down there or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's, yeah. you captured it really well. There's that distinct feeling of being in New York when it's new and thinking, oh my gosh, where am I? What's happening now? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and I would just say, I really love the bongos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I love how there's like, you know what, when you drop in a detail like that, so you have the pink and gold sari, um, yeah. the little boy and the bongos. I mean, so, so that's one sentence, but we're, immediately we're there. We, we have the, dis, like, you know, the, the feeling of, you know, the diversions that you see as you walk through. So right. really lovely. And um, I, you know, and I wanted to put that through Allie's eyes, you know, of, you know, she, and I, I played a, around a lot with, you know, the different languages that she would hear, you know, uh, being, you know, if you walk through New York, you'll hear, you know, half a dozen different languages being spoken. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to kind of capture that international feel that you get. Um and just the diversity and, you know, people do strange things in the subway. Yes, I mean, do. playing bongos is is absolutely, you know, fine and, and wonderful. But I've seen people dribble basketballs and, you know. And the kids who do of- flips around the subway pole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you never know what you're going little, to see. It's a whole little world down there. Yeah. Um, why don't you tell us some things that you learned from Helen? What did I learn from Helen? I think what I learned from her is that it's okay to be vulnerable. You can be strong and still vulnerable. Um, And that, you know, people tend to think of Helen Gurley Brown like Anna Wintour. Mm -hmm. And Helen's um, form, uh, her style was so very different. Um, she She was the velvet hammer. She had a really gentle, easy touch about her. She wanted people to feel comfortable. She wanted them to feel empowered. And I think overall, she was very kind. And, um, you know, she could get more flies with honey, definitely. And I think um, just learning that it's okay to be vulnerable, that you can get where you need to be using kindness and respect. Um, But she was very crafty, too. She was always two steps ahead of everybody else in the room. You know, she knew where she wanted a meeting to end up, what the result was. And she just sort of, without you even realizing it, she just led you there. <laughs> well, I think it's so interesting. I mean, and this was kind of the next question when I was just struck by Helen's actual, you know, speaking voice and how, and, and I was like, the speaking voice just comes right at you and it's so distinct Mm. Um, and you know, when I teach dialogue, so how mm. did, did you listen to her? Did you, how did you, I, you know, and I went, I researched on YouTube, I got obsessed <laughs> by Helen and her voice. I mean, what was your research to get that and um, to really nail that? Great, great question. So I, I did, um, I did look at some YouTube videos cause there's a lot of interviews with her and she did have that very distinctive, uh, style of voice. It was sort of like, uh, Marilyn Monroe with, like a bit of lockjaw 
you know, <laughs> and um, but I did have a secret weapon. Um, I was introduced to a woman who regarded Helen Gurley Brown as her second mother. Oh. And she called her Mommy Helen. And uh, Lois and I really kind of hit it off. She vetted the book for me. She would say, ah, 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 you're starting to sound too much like Anna Wintour here. And, mm-hmm. you know, so she helped me with like the cadence. And, you know, Helen would say things like pippy poo, you know, <laughs> like that's pippy poo copy or that's nifty. Um <laughs> She just had her own little, you know, vocabulary. You know, if she liked you, she called you pussycat. Um, so, and I owe uh, uh, all that to, to Lois really helping me um, distinguish Helen's voice from, you know, because it was so easy to either go caricature or go the Anna Wintour route. And I think uh, Lois Cahill really saved me from that. What do you wish writers knew about being six books into a career? Hmm. That each book is different, that each book uh, presents opportunities to grow, um, and to look at your career in the big picture, because there's going to be ups and downs, peaks and valleys, some books that just will strike a chord with people and some that you pour your heart, I mean, pour your heart and soul into all of them, but some that for some reason maybe didn't click as much as you thought they were. Um, and you, you have to have the bounce back factor mm-hmm. because even a book that's doing really well, someone's going to leave you just a horrible review whether, you know, whether it's on a, a retail site or, you know, even take the time to email you and people will put a lot of thought into this. And so you have to be able to bounce back from that. Um, but you have to keep growing in your craft. And I think that, you know, six books in, you, you have to do it because you absolutely love the craft of writing. Um, you know, because that for that, you know, two or three months that you're out there um, promoting your book and and talking with people and doing wonderful things like this podcast with you, the bulk of your time is going to be you with the page, with all this these characters and a you know story hanging in fragments inside your head. So you, you need to really love that process and know that each book is going to require something new from you. Your approach might be different. You may uh, need to uh, change your research approach. Maybe the last book you did all your research first and then you wrote, but this one you feel like you have to write it first and then do your research. Um, So you have to be flexible and you have to trust yourself that you know your process. And even if your process changes that, you know, you have the faith that you're going to get from beginning, middle to end. That's great. And, and you know, and I, and I love how, how you talked about how each book's different, like each child's different that you have, you know, and that the process really, really dictates um, with the story that you're, you're dealing with. So that's a great piece of advice. So Renee, if you had Google level funding, what would you do with it? Ah, uh, so wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> I think what I would do, I was thinking about this. If I had unlimited funds like that, I would love to start a program for uh, children with special needs and teaming them up with an author 
and together they would write a book. Oh, you know, so it could nice. be a children's book, it could be a middle grade book, but to help a child who maybe um, isn't as confident or as competent with their language skills to be able to express themselves, to give them that avenue that they could explore and create and have that feeling of having produced something, created something. I just think doing something like that would be really rewarding. You know, what's interesting is when I've worked with kids with autism, that um, if you have them write visually, often you get the most amazing things. So I think you're yeah. really onto something. So let's make it, ha- let, let's do this. How let's do we do, do this? <laughs> Google, are you out there? <laughs> no, no. You never know angel, who's listening. Angel investors, angel investors. Yeah. So. so what is your superpower? Okay, so I have two superpowers. Um I make the best salad in the world. We call it we call it an NBS, a nice big salad. And we have them almost every night and I would hold it up to restaurant quality anywhere. So that's one of my superpowers if you could call it a superpower. Oh, uh, we need to the know other, what's in this magic salad. I'm sorry. Yeah, tell us. Okay. So some of my secret uh, ingredients are basil and shallots, which have seven essential nutrients, mm. um, and hearts of palm, and um, different types of lettuce. And, you know, sometimes I put beets in it. Sometimes I put um, always avocado, always feta cheese, once in a while goat cheese, once in a while blue cheese. Um, and I don't usually use salad dressing. That's how good they are. Wow. Um, <laughs> But, and it started with this, I would say to John every day, you know, what do you want for dinner tonight? You know, we'll make salmon and I'll make a nice big salad. I'll make chicken and a nice big salad. I didn't realize I would say that every day that I was going to make a nice big salad. So now we just call it an NBS. <laughs> so no, so I, I make the NBS. So that's one of, I don't know if you'd call that a superpower. It's pretty weak, but that I would hold my salads up to anyone. They had like pie contests or, you know, blue ribbon contests for salads. I would, <laughs> they should. I'm, I'm pretty confident I'd be right out there. The other superpower that I have is power washing. I oh. discovered power washing. I could power wash anything. Wait, oh my gosh, you need to come to my house. Just come to my house. I would, a salad. You can power wash oh my Oh my God. My that is the most gratifying thing you could possibly do. Oh, I love how concrete those two things yeah. are compared to writing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's because, you know, you have a sense of accomplishment when you write like, what's it like, Oh, I did a thousand words today. You know, I mean, it, it's like, it goes by in such small increments, right. you know, I and mean, you can never delete a power wash. You can't delete true. it. That's very you true. Can't, you're just like, wow, I power wash. And, uh, <laughs> and, awesome. I mean, you can see the before and after it's just, oh my God, it's so gratifying. I, I told oh. John, I said, if ever you are in doubt of what to get me for like, you know, an anniversary birthday, you know, holiday, just get me a power washer. Oh my gosh. I want to beautify like Chicago one block to the next. You know. oh. I, see, I see opportunities for power washing everywhere. <laughs> so, Renee, um, what comes next for you and where can we find you online? Okay. So, next is um, I am just on deadline right now, finishing up my next book, which is called The Social Graces. And it is the story of 
Mrs. Astor and Alva Vanderbilt mm. vying for control of New York society during the Gilded Age. Wow. Ooh, so lots of fun with this material. They were, they were so over the top. Um, and that comes out in January 2021. So um, I'm fast at work on that. And um, I am, let's see, I'm on Facebook, I, uh, Renee Rosen author. I do tons of giveaways over there. So please come, come follow me over there. Um, Twitter, I, I think I'm Renee Rosen one on Twitter. Um, and I'm trying to get the hang of Instagram, but I need to like steal someone's teenager or something. <laughs> I feel because- that way too. <laughs> It's just, I don't know why I'm just so challenged by Instagram, but I'm on there. But if I don't respond to something or a story, I don't know how to do a story yet. So if I don't respond, it's not because I'm being rude. It's just because I don't know how. I don't know what I'm doing. A couple events. I had three events locally here in Chicago. Um, And then I went uh, to uh, an unlikely story uh, in Plainville, Massachusetts. And from there, I met up with uh, Susan Meisner and Chanel Clayton, um, two of my Berkeley sisters. And we did a couple of events together in Connecticut and in New York. From there, where did I go? I went down to Atlanta and I had a couple um, a couple of uh, bookstore events and luncheons in Wisconsin and just got back from an event up in Michigan, in Gaylord, Michigan, at Saturn Books. Went to St. Joe, Michigan, Forever Books. Um, I'm getting ready to head to the Historical Novel Society Conference, which is just outside of D.C. this week. Um, next week, uh, I'll be in the Twin Cities for Literature Lovers Night Out. Um, and there are some tickets still available. So um, you can go on my website or... Uh, I think it's on my website. Yeah. Or for sure on my Facebook page to see about getting tickets if you're in the Twin Cities. Um, And I just had an event last night here in Chicago uh, at a local library, taking a little breather. And then I have a couple more events coming up in Ohio, my hometown, and uh, another great bookstore, uh, Gathering Volumes, um, which is just outside Toledo. So it's been a busy time for me. I would, like no wonder you like to power wash. <laughs> I mean, this is the first time that I've really because you know my my other books were set in Chicago and this is set in New York, so it gives me a broader cam, uh, canvas to sort of reach. So um, so that's been really fun. Well, it has been such a pleasure, Renee, and, and best of luck with your really amazing book. I'm oh, so excited you. to see where it goes. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on. And thank I you really so much. appreciate it. Thank you so much for making time. Would you send us your salad recipe for the show notes? Okay. <laughs> we are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. It not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with first pages podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com. <laughs>